As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to another Lads in Power. This is Scott Powers. Mark Lazarus is on vacation, much needed <laughs> vacation this week. Um, although he's still working in some, some capacity. So uh, today I'm having on Chris Watkins as the guest who we uh, I've talked about having on before and it's kind of fallen through. But Chris, uh, he does a, a podcast. Uh, let's uh, Chris, I'm gonna mess this up. Now. Let's do that hockey. <laughs> let's, let's do that hockey. And then he's also <laughs> a, a uh, he also writes for Hockey Graphs um, and he's an analyst for them. Chris, welcome. Thank you very much, man. Uh, how's it going on your end? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, things are feeling slightly back to normal here in Chicago. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, the kid's back at daycare, my wife's back at work, I'm, I'm home alone, which is just a weird feeling. And then <laughs> I saw pictures of people out at Wrigleyville this past weekend and standing in long lines. Oh, yeah. Mess, and I, uh, I'm really, uh, yeah, I'm scared that Chicago will be, uh, <laughs> you know, the more that happens, the more likely we're going to see a little bit of a spike too. But um, for the most part, it feels like things are getting a little bit back to normal. People have been pretty good about mass. And um, you obviously had a big life change and just, uh, and just had a kid. And this is uh, kind of a crazy time to be bringing a kid back into the world, huh? Yeah, yeah. I actually just uh, put her to sleep. We have a daddy-daughter dance time where I put on some uh, classical music and we just waltz around until <laughs> she passes out. So just got done with that and handed her off to the boss with the sauce a few minutes ago. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been it's been crazy. So just trying to take advantage of that, uh, catch up on some hockey that I missed uh, when, when I was uh, getting ready for her to come. And uh, so we stay up late at night watching some uh, some games, getting ready for this playing, uh, playing period. You uh, you grew up here, and then you you've been out there for a bit now, yeah, out in New York. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I live in New York City now, but grew up uh, in, in Waukegan. Uh, so, uh, you know, was tangentially rooting for the Hawks, even though they weren't uh, on TV at the time. Uh, so the the Wolves were my team uh, then. Um, and then I, <laughs> uh, I moved out to uh, college in Atlanta. Um, and so the Thrashers were the first team I sort of attached myself to. And then the, the Hawks sort of got their act together. Uh, I, I say to people I got on board around uh, 08, 09, right before they sort of took off. Uh, so, you know, I, I knew them before they were cool. But, yeah, that's that's the time period for me. <laughs> it, it's crazy for me. Like, I just I, – I didn't grow up with hockey in any way, you know. Like, so, someone was asking me, like, where I was for the, the 2010 Cup. And I, I honestly don't know if I watched it or not. Like, it's, <laughs> like hockey was such a – you know, like, it, it wasn't – uh, you know, I grew up on the northwest side of the city, and we just, you know, my dad wasn't in hockey. The you know, neighborhood kids weren't into hockey. We didn't have a rink by us. The, you know, right. the games weren't on TV. So, like, it was such a, yeah, it was such like a, a strange thing. And then, obviously, me being where I am now, it's yeah, I would have never guessed this was going to happen. And um, but you know, I, I mean, it sounds like you know, you got introduced in an earlier age and kind of kind of fell in love with it. Uh, yeah, yes and no. So, you know, what I tell people is that, like, my understanding of hockey, you know, sort of back when uh, Sports Center was a big thing was, you know, just sort of seeing the highlights every day from Sports Center. Um, and then, you know, there are a couple of video games, you know, in the in the late 90s that I played. I didn't actually have the video games. I just had the, the disc that came with, like, the PlayStation. I had, like, NHL 98. And it was the Panthers versus the Avalanche. And that's all you can play. You can only play for five minutes at a time. <laughs> so I, yeah. I knew like Peter Worrell and, you know, Pablo Bure and all those guys like pretty, pretty in depth. But that was it because those are the only two teams that were on the, on the, on the system. Um, and I begged my mom to get me the actual version of the game for Christmas. Um, and she got me some other highly rated game, Zelda uh, Ocarina of Time instead. And I was super mad at her. And then I played the game for like three weeks and I was like, oh, yeah. This is a better decision, <laughs> but uh, didn't really <laughs> didn't really start uh, getting back into the sport. So, like I said, a decade later, was just like at school, kind of bored, and uh, you know, started playing video games again with my downtime, and you know, started you know playing around. Really got uh, uh, into Pittsburgh as well. Uh, George Stahl was my favorite player, um, and then uh, the Thrashers were making inroads into the community, and so uh, you know, start that sort of encouraged me to take hockey a little bit more seriously. Got invited to cover a couple of games for uh, some school projects, um, and then since then it's been a, 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 a you know a torrid love affair. Uh, you know, uh, lots of ups and downs, but uh, we're we're in good shape now. I uh, yeah, I I say love to talk to you. We should probably do this again when there's actually hockey to talk about <laughs> and, and dig into some numbers and different things. But um, I, I thought today's example of you know even on Twitter might be something we could talk about where. Um, Ryan Hardy, who's the the GM of the Chicago Steel, had put out that he had some 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 random kid just <laughs> reached out to him and said, uh, you know, I'd like to work for you, basically. And and he said, sure. He's like, you know, come up with an idea, and uh, we'll pay you twenty thousand dollars, which is uh, <laughs> the craziest probably path into a job. But you know, and and something that kind of came to mind, and, and I actually texted Ryan about this yesterday was was doing something like that for uh, a person of color and creating those opportunities. And, and I, I know that you kind of tweeted at him and sort of with the same criticism and it, um, it remarkably opened up this, this conversation. I, I don't know if you kind of, I, I don't know how much detail you can get into what you guys talked about, but um, just how, how I guess the way that Ryan put it, it was a Twitter beef turned into a really positive conversation and something you guys, it sounded like you guys talked about for a while. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll put the caveat out there that my Twitter personality is probably an extension of my actual real life personality, but not a uh, full representation of that. And so, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I reached out to Ryan, uh, probably, you know, a little bit tipped at, at necessarily the conversation that he was having. And not because, you know, I, I want um, people to get opportunities like that. Uh, you know, one of my former employers, I used to work at Uber's uh, corporate headquarters and actually uh, the CEO um, or the COO actually got his job over Twitter, just reaching out to a random tweet from the founder. Um, so, you know, I know that works. Uh, I know that's actually a great avenue to find people you wouldn't normally see. Uh, but uh, I, I think the conversation was to your exact point, Scott, and I think uh, you all shared a great article with uh, Ryan Clark about that the other day. How do you expand access to minorities for that? You can't necessarily have an open door policy and expect people to come through. I mean, you need to be more proactive and reaching out to the community, um, either making people aware of the opportunities available or getting them interested in the opportunities to make them want to apply. And so I think a lot of the conversation that uh, Ryan and I had went into that about how do you, uh, you know, sort of expand these opportunities to people who don't normally look like the typical person that works in hockey. Um, and we, you know, shared each other's backstories, really understood where each other was uh, were coming from. Uh, you know, a little bit of a nuance that's often lost in conversations today. I, I myself am guilty of that sometimes, but I think uh, us having that uh, sort of uh, understanding and sharing other minds um, allowed us to come to a good conclusion on that. And, uh, you know, hopefully Ryan and I can follow up with some action um, and, and take that conversation further. But yeah, uh, we spent like an hour and a half talking. My wife was like, who's this person uh, on the phone? But uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great time. She, she was mad because I've never talked to her or like my mother like that long. And so she thought it was hypocritical. Uh, but uh, I was like, no, this is important for for like the, the spirit of hockey uh, to, to keep the conversation going. You know, it's interesting is for me is growing up uh, in Chicago, which which is, which is segregated, obviously, and mm-hmm. um, but but mostly covering basketball. You know, I, I covered high school basketball, and uh, you know that was my my passion for so long. Uh, you know, I, I ran a e magazine called Ill Hoops I did for five years, and I you know I then covered the college hoops, and you know just you, um, it, it's such a different world than going into hockey. Like it was very <laughs> eye opening, and you know the fact that I got thrown into hockey and not wanting to cover it even in that first year. I, uh, I I remember arguing with people about the athleticism of hockey <laughs> players and just um, just even just yeah, how you know like it, it was white that's all it right. was and it, and it felt really weird and then once you get in this hockey bubble like it's um, the only time that hockey race comes up is when an incident happens you know when right. it's, uh, you know like what's what happened with in Chicago with the Devontae Pelly Smith or it's yep. um, you know when someone throws the N word out there it, it just it's or, or rarely when there's a, a black player in a hockey in the in the locker room, you know. I mean, um, it was uh, you know when Devontae Pelly Smith happened, it was um, uh, who was uh, I was trying to think who the black player on the team then was. Um, uh, Anthony Duclair. Um, uh, Anthony, yeah, Duclair, and and I felt bad because he's the one that deals with these questions, right? Like, you know, like it's unfair, but he he was really good, and I actually, you know, I, I did a little series, you know, before he became a free agent, uh, was about how. Like he embraced this moment and how he was, um, you know, like th- this is what Chicago needed. And then, you know, he, 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 he didn't get signed. And then all of a sudden Chicago didn't have a, a black player in the room again. And then, uh, the discussions end, you know, like, and, and that's, um, I, I think that's my issue too. And, and it's, it's probably on me that it, it has to be on some of what on the media to bring these things up when it's not, um, you know, when it's not convenient, but, right. but I feel like that's within my own my own hockey experience has been that it, that race doesn't get talked about unless it's really forced or something happens around it. Where, 
um, where it's a lot easier in other sports because you have more of a, you know, it just there's so much more diversity. And I think that's, um, and also that, that, I mean, reading, and I, I know that you mentioned Scott Burnside's story yesterday about <laughs> the comments, and it's 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 really disconcerting, and uh, it's yeah, it's really problematic. Is you know, even today with the story that Ryan Clark and I did, it just yeah, there are a lot of people who are just racists, or they just they or they want to, don't want to talk about race or whatever. But it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I, <laughs> I know that you've had a lot of these discussions on Twitter and and uh, and seen these same things and felt these same things, but it's just it's. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just on a tangent here. If you can kind of yeah. pick up where, where I'm yeah, going, yeah, but um, yeah, no, no, 100. I think uh, you know, as I've said, and you know, I bragged about it, but only from the standpoint of uh, out of pure respect. But um, I said on another podcast, I was asked to join. You know, I'm only having this conversation with that podcast in particular because they brought me on for things not related to race and hockey. You know, they've asked me my opinions on you know, my models and stats and analytics I've run and all that stuff. And, you know, Scott and I uh, have had running conversations for, you know, a couple of years now. So this is not the first time that we're talking about uh, this particular topic. And so therefore, you know, for myself, I'm more willing to be open in that sort of setting. And I feel like it's probably the same for the players as well, where, you know, if you're only coming to a Devontae Smith-Pelly or Anthony Duclair or not, a PK Subban or, uh, you know, uh, Seth Jones, guys who are superstars and, you know, Norris Trophy winners, you're only coming to them in this period of crisis in a time when something bad happens, like they're going to be less receptive in terms of opening up on their experiences to you. And, and we're sort of seeing that now where, you know, a few years ago when Colin Kaepernick was protesting, you only really had JT Brown stepping out um, and sort of being at the forefront of these conversations within hockey. Um, and now with the recent things developing with George Floyd and this sort of uh, racial consciousness that's developing across America, you've seen the Hockey Diversity uh, Alliance uh, sort of come together on uh, the problem of black players in hockey, sort of having these open dialogues and discussions that they weren't willing to have before or people weren't asking them about. And so I think it was really sort of establishing that trust of saying like, hey, like, you know, Ke'Andre Miller did not get into hockey to have races come at him. You know, he got into ho- hockey to be the best player he can be. Um, however, when a situation like that happens, does he have a forum and does he have this sort of wherewithal to express himself in a way that sort of gets the point across uh, without him, you know, coming across, you know, uh, in battle or, or whatever in that situation. And so I think this is just a maturity that is happening in hockey that's, you know, frankly, a little bit lagging behind other sports, but, you know, better late than never. Um, and so I think to your point, uh, as hockey, uh, you know, called out another prominent podcast that had Kim Davis, uh, the SVP of everything, uh, uh, diversity and uh, community relations uh, are related with the NHL. Um, you know, they sort of waited. It was like, hey, we were meaning to have you on all season. It just so happened that this was the time we brought you on after all this uh, sort of hit the fan. And I think like that's sort of disrespectful to all of the work that her and her team have done in terms of making inroads into these different communities uh, that hockey's reaching out to. And so I think like being more proactive with this stuff going forward, and hopefully this is an opportunity to do so, will allow those conversations to manifest uh, more normally. Um, and sort of as I talked about with Ryan on our call, it's a domino effect. You know, people may listen to me, um, but they may be more inclined to listen to you or listen to Ryan or, uh, you know, someone else um, more connected into the hockey community that uh, is receptive to sort of hearing other opinions about it and can convey it in a way that they will understand and respect. And so I think that is the portion where we can all come together on this, where, you know, we can sort of say, hey, here's a different viewpoint. We can share our sort of shared experiences and then use that as a way to sort of open up this dialogue and conversation. But, you know, it, there's always going to be some population that, you know, pushes back against it, as you saw 
um, in the comments and all that stuff. But like that's that's not the audience you're trying to change. It's the people on the in, in the middle who are sort of silent because they don't really know what to say or sort of how to think at this point in time. Um, but you can educate them and get them to that point. Yeah. What you know, I, I got to know you just through through Twitter, and and you know, I think you sort of already established by the time that we sort of connected. What the path for you, like, how did you get? rolling and got like you've become like you know obviously kind of a, a look to source and i feel like you've you've developed a, you know uh, um, you know your opinion and, and your models <laughs> and all those things was that uh, did that take some time to establish from when you were coming up kind of when you decided to kind of put some of your resources into, into hockey like that yeah yeah i mean i i would say this sort of uh crystallizing moment so i was in undergrad uh at morehouse college uh based in atlanta um, and so Spike Lee is a alum, uh, alumni there. Um, he established a sports journalism program. Um, and I was really, you know, I was reading, you know, ESPN.com every day, page two, Bill Simmons, uh, 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 John Hollinger on the NBA side um, was really interested in doing something like that. And I'm a diehard Bulls fan. Also, the NBA was just the path I was going to take. I was going to be a, a sports writer for the NBA, do the NBA beat, take over for, you know, Lacey Johnson and, uh, and Sam Smith and all those guys. Uh and then I was sitting in my classroom and I'm at HBCU and I was looking and everybody else had the same exact thought. I, I'm going to be the next NBA guy. I'm going to be the next Stephen A. Smith and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, this was around the time I just started watching hockey. Um, and so uh, one of my friends is actually Spike Lee's godson. And I was telling him like, hey, you know, everybody knew I watched hockey. It was sort of weird on an all-black campus to be the one guy watching hockey on a regular basis. But people knew. <laughs> Uh, and, and sort of uh, through back channels, he's like, oh, yeah, Spike would love to have someone in the locker room that uh, that looks like him or looks different from the normal people in the in the hockey locker room. Um, and so I was like, OK, all right, so I'll, I'll, I'll try this hockey thing. And then I got really into it, looking up the stats, understanding the advanced analytics and sort of how they played out, but still taking a basketball approach to it, um, which I think helped me stand out initially in terms of, you know, there are things that didn't make sense to me as someone who did not grow up on the sport. Like, why do you take the goalie out, you know, when you're down, you know, two, one with uh, three minutes left to go in the third period, you know, in soccer, what the normal response would be if you're down, you actually bring in, you know, take out a defender, bring in a forward and try to bring in more offense, uh, which is sort of how it works in hockey. But, you know, that's not something that would be like clear to someone who didn't grow up on a sport. And so, you know, over time, it started to develop, you know, these things. Uh, the thing that crystallized it for me was, uh, Brian Elliott had like a year where he had like a 938 uh, save percentage in like 2011. Um, and by that year, I knew that uh, my Blackouts fandom was relatively uh, new, but I knew that I hated the St. Louis Blues. And I knew that that's <laughs> not that 938 save percentage was like built on a house of cards. It was all lies. And so I created something called like true save percentage, um, shared it with my professor um, and got the attention of a guy that was working with uh, uh, with the Kings, uh, Kevin Mangion. Um, he was consulting with the Kings at the time. I uh, shared it with him. He's like, okay, this needs some work, uh, but sort of guided me in the right direction. And then so after a while, uh, you know, really started to focus more on the technical side, get my analytics and stats skills up. Um, actually created a blog called InTheCorners.com for a little bit. Um, and then, you know, got on the radar of a couple people. I think I proposed a three-point line in hockey um, and said that uh, Alex Dovechkin would score like 103 goals in like the 2012 <laughs> season, you know, had this three-point line existed or something like that. Uh, if you counted two goals that, uh, past the past the face-off dots uh, instead of one. Uh, and so that sort of got me on the radar with people. And then from there, it's just been, you know, just having these conversations. You know, I like to go a little bit in the contrarian point of view um, because I think that's more fun um, in terms of sort of pushing back against the hockey establishment. Uh, but it also sort of just allows you to sort of explore things in a way that people haven't thought about 
Um, and I've learned to uh, sort of be more nuanced in my approach. I was a little bit more confrontational when I started out. Uh, but with maturity and now being a dad and all that stuff, you know, I don't have the time <laughs> to, to to go back and forth with, with people on Twitter as much as possible. But I do like to have, you know, nuanced conversations about hockey. And, uh, no, it's been great. It's been a great uh, development. Big shout out to Hockey Grass for really giving me the opportunity to expand the, the sphere of influence I have um, in terms of being one of the few people of color. I mean, I think at the moment, I think there's maybe one other uh, uh, African-American males uh, sort of working in the analytics sphere. And so uh, that's been great. And then also, you know, a big shout out to you as well for for us having this uh, sort of running dialogue over the past few years. You should you and Ryan Hardy should have another discussion at some point because Ryan's uh, and I wrote about him uh, earlier on when this pandemic started was just he was he was he was he was tweeting all these different things about being being very honest about hockey and and then we wrote a story about him and then uh, after that we wrote the you know the fifty Twitter best Twitter followers <laughs> and you were included too because I think your stuff's always interesting because it's always outside the box you know like it's. It, it, it's 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 a bit contrarian, but it's 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 well thought <laughs> out too. You know, like it's not just like you're just crazy and you're throwing shit out there. You know, but um, I, I thought one of the models that you came up with, I and, I and we've talked about it a little bit, and I've I've certainly asked you for some, um, you know, data the last couple of years was 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 the value of players and the yeah. contracts, and and it's and it's a little bit different than I think the other models, and I don't know if you can get into that a little bit and just um, how you came about that and what, what sort of the value values you found important in putting it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so one of the reasons I was always very adamant about getting into sports is, you know, I played the video games. I played Madden and NBA 2K, um, NHL, uh, you know, the NHL series. And my wife would get mad because I almost never played the actual games themselves. You know, I'm not playing the Heat versus the Bulls or, you know, the Blue Jackets versus the, the Lightning. I'm just like the GM trading behind the scenes. So, so I'm always doing that. And so on these, on these games, you have, you know, the players and they have a rating and, you know, their contract values and, you know, there's a little bar that says, oh, this is a great trade. This is a bad trade. I don't see so many bad trades in the NHL that I didn't agree with <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, uh, or uh, So a perfect example would be the Panarin saw trade. Uh, and so uh, the, if you poll the general public and probably Blackhawks fans now, it would say like 87% would say that the Blue Jackets won that trade. Uh, and I was like, totally against that i i i thought it was a fair value trade at the time i still do uh even, even with all the contrary uh reasons you know uh uh artemis had a great season this year and definitely probably should be you know top three for the heart trophy and i think brandon has spent a lot of time on the third line and so you say how is that a fair trade i was like well okay well you actually traded the better player um in panarin for sod but when you include the contract and the contract length uh this heart heart trophy year that uh, Artemi Panarin had, Blackhawks probably, probably wouldn't have been able to afford it anyway. Um, and so, from the standpoint of yes, you traded a better player, but the value you would have gotten from that actual contract and that player at that time would not have been equivalent to what you think it is uh, just looking at that person's career. Um, and so, from that standpoint, you know, I like to look at uh, not only the value of the players themselves, but also where they fit into the team context. Uh, the example I give is like you know the twenty. 13, 14 Sabres, one of the worst teams in NHL history. You add Sidney Crosby to that team, all he's doing is uh, he's not bringing you a championship. So technically, yes, you added one of the greatest players ever, but he's not actually bringing that team a championship. All he's doing is actually making that team worse in terms of draft, draft position. And so that actually doesn't make sense as a uh, transaction for that team because they're nowhere near being one Sidney Crosby away from contention. 
And so I think that's the thing that a lot of models forget is like, oh, you trade so-and-so and you get this much war back and, you know, it's a great trade. It's like, well, where's your team in terms of its window? And when you signed a free agent, like, did it make sense for the Make Beliefs to sign John Tavares to an $11 million contract? Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Don Loose Chicken, will always say, well, you always overpay for stars. I'm like, I don't know if that's the case in a hard cap league because every single dollar that you spend, uh, as the Hawks can see with the Taves and Kane contracts, is a dollar that you can't spend further down the roster. And so I think every single dollar counts, whether you're overspending it for a third liner or, you know, one of the franchise faces of the team. Uh, you know, I don't think that matters as much. And so my models uh, try to really focus on that piece uh, to say, like, hey, for the where you want your team to be and the championship window you want to open up, it's probably better to have all your players' primes line up together on contracts that make sense. And I think that's borne yeah. out uh, across the board. What? Uh, where, where do you stand with, uh, I guess, if you're the Blackhawks, do you, <laughs> you want to win or lose this, this, oh, this qualifying round and get oh, a shot man. at the number one pick? Oh man, uh, how much time we have? No, uh, uh, I guess <laughs> I guess a quick summation. Uh, so I'll, I'll say two things on this. I think uh, uh, one. So if you uh, if you watch the thing, uh, if you watch the draft lottery, so two things that stood out to me as a Black Ops fan that really hurt. So one, uh, the Kings having uh, the number two pick and getting Quentin Byfield. Uh, only from the standpoint of if you look at the Kings and the Blackhawks, they're probably at the same stage in terms of likelihood to win the championship over the next five years i mean obviously past glories are great banners slack forever but you know uh i didn't cancel my fandom in 2015 unfortunately so i have to worry about the next 10 years uh, of, of the blackhawks and uh the kings have just been very bad the past couple of years and have gotten the job picks as a result uh to, it's to show that and so the fact that they're already locked into another you know top tier player uh is great for them uh, from the Blackhawks standpoint, I think this is a big failing on the part of the NHL. Um, you never want your your fans to go into a, uh, a, a supposedly contentious playoff series hoping that they lose so that way they can get the number one pick. Uh, uh, because I'm sure everybody's like, you know, you know, take out Corey Crawford, call somebody from the AHL and, and go put Kane on, on the fourth line, uh, you know, put Taves on defense or whatever, you know, uh, you know, call up uh, Brett Seabrook and, you know, put him on first line center like they did with Brian Campbell a few years back. You know, just whatever you can do. Edmonton's not a great team, so you you almost have to go out of your way to make sure that you guarantee that you lose that, you lose that series. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very against it. I obviously want them to get someone like uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Uh, uh, I've finally gotten a chance to watch Prospect Tape for the first time in ever because uh, I'm usually watching uh, NBA prospects. But, you know, I figured I'd dip my toe into NHL draft prospects. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'd be happy with him or Tim Stosha or – or any of the other prospects going. But, uh, yeah, no, I think it was a big mistake on the NHL's part to incentivize uh, sort of lower-tier teams to want to lose uh, instead of making a cup run. The weird part about this is all is – I mean, the Blackhawks, obviously, the players and management, they're going to try to win these games. But there's also, like, this the backdrop of the uncertainty of what comes next. You know, right. like, they fired a president. There's an interim <laughs> president. Uh, you know, like, it's – the hockey ops could change, and, and and everyone wants to win now. I think for right. the sake of that, their jobs are at stake. You know, like. Uh, but on the other hand, like, what's the what's best for the Blackhawks? Probably is is losing and having a chance at that number one pick. I mean, that's what uh, would you know having a player like that would actually give you an opportunity to probably get him in the NHL while Kane and Taves are under contract, and and Doc and DeBrincat and Bokus, all these guys are 
emerging, you know, like difference between a first right. and a number nine pick in this draft, like it matters <laughs> a lot. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there's so much, it's on the one hand, I'm sure the Blackhawks, uh, you know, win or lose, there's, there's positives like the, you know, if they win, I'm sure that they're thinking that, um, you know, anything can happen and, and it's hockey. So I guess everything can happen and getting experience with those younger guys. But it just, it's when you think of even the short and long-term, uh, what could happen if they get number one pick? It's it obviously probably outweighs that, but um, it, it's not like it's you know it's not like anyone's ever going to answer that question honestly, and, and <laughs> certainly the players and Jeremy Colleton, everyone would be like, yeah, no, we're looking to win. So I, I think it certainly adds the element of uh, a drama to this uh, this whole play in series. Well, and quickly on that, the other the other side of it, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to predict how that series would go uh, once and hopefully once everything does get started. Is uh, it's also a big series for Edmonton because you know you're looking at this year is a is a sort of transitional year for the Oilers um, with supposed rumblings that Connor McDavid may not be happy with how the team was performing before Ken Holland and Dave Tippett come come in, and so you know you look at that and says, well, this team flames out, you know, before even getting to the official playoffs, and then and then don't get that number one pick. You know, how much longer of a rope does uh does Edmonton have? Um, in terms of keeping yeah. uh, kind of David happy, and so I think you know they have an incentive to 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 play play their butts off as well. And so you know, like I said, I would love it if the NHL had said actually instead of losing to get the first round pick, uh, to number one pick, uh, the team that wins out of these eight teams, the team that wins their series or has like the best goal differential or whatever it may be, gets the number one pick. I think that would have been a great incentive for those teams to actually play as hard as possible while also sort of keeping the spirit of the draft lottery as intact. Uh, as they could have, so I think that was a missed opportunity on their part. You'll, you'll, you'll have to come on when the uh, when when the games come back and stuff, and, and we can talk uh, <laughs> uh, talk a little bit more hockey. It just it seems uh, yeah, there's so yeah. much other pressing stuff going on. I, I appreciate you coming on, Chris. Yeah, yeah, no man, it's always uh, fun to to jump on and, and get a chance to chat. Uh, so really appreciate uh, the opportunity. Cool. You'll, you'll have to. You know, I, I know that we've been talking about podcasts, so you got to get your podcast rolling a little bit more, so I, uh, <laughs> myself and others can uh, can get going on it. Yeah, I mean, my my producer, uh, the baby, uh, you know, has her own thoughts about when the podcast is <laughs> able to record and all that. So, uh, so we'll we'll try to figure that out. But yeah, the the hope is once I get a more regular schedule with her, I can I can figure out uh, when I can bring you on that. Yeah, cool. And then you, I, I know you're working on a bigger piece for Hockey Graphs right now too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just uh, just to preface it, uh, you know, try to keep it under wraps as much as possible. But we're just looking at. Yeah. Uh, sort of discrepancies uh, in sort of uh, drafting and, and sort of prospect development uh, across the board. Um, you know, we found some interesting stuff so far. Uh, really, you know, when you think about like a player like Quentin Byfield, you know, he's very unique in terms of being one of the few players of color, along with Austin Matthews, uh, to, to play the center position at such a high level and sort of how that's sort of played out historically and what that looks like going forward. So, uh, so that's some of the stuff that we're working on. Uh, we're also launching a Twitch channel uh, relatively soon, um, so we'll be having some, sort of, uh, you know, hockey experts come on and discuss uh, from an analytical perspective how things are going across the league, and hope to really uh, get that kicked off. So excited, excited about that! Great, awesome, appreciate it. Uh, for Chris Watkins, I'm Scott Powers, and this is the Lads and Powers Show. Take care. I can help even just a little.